So not only are you facing the shock aspect of, of, of the more, of mortgage rates, but you're also facing the part of it that is partially rooted in structural racism. This is Gated Communities, where we talk about everything you're not supposed to talk about in the mortgage industry. Welcome back to Gated Communities. Today, we'll be talking about how recent events have contributed to the home ownership gap between black and white Americans, high rent, low housing supply, unaffordability, COVID-19, and climate change are issues that affected all of us, but disproportionately impacted black Americans and have created more roadblocks to achieving home ownership. The Urban Institute recently came out with a report, a landscape scan of home ownership for households of color that delves into these issues and recommends policy solutions to help mend or prevent these problems from arising again. Today, we have Michael Neal, author of the report and principal research associate for the Housing Finance Policy Center to give us his in-depth analysis and provide ways mortgage professionals can help these underserved borrowers get back on track. So thank you, Michael Neal, for joining us today. Yeah, it's great to be here. So um, I read the report um, that came out recently, and a lot of it talks about issues that every American, every borrower is going through um, high rent, high rent, um, the lack of supply, lack of affordability. Obviously, COVID impacted a lot of people's lives. And there was um, an interesting point made in the report talking about climate change. Um, Mm. But if we look at it, it's all had um, a disproportionate impact on Black Mm. Americans. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to allow you to get um, more into that and we'll break it down by each topic. So let's start off with rent burden, um, the current state of rent in America and how it's held a lot of first time homebuyers back, especially black Americans. Studies show that black Americans are the most rent burdened uh, demographic. So Mm -hmm. why is that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, You know, I like to think about that, you know, in two and really in two ways. Um, The first one is around uh, economics, household economics. Um, But another part of that is uh, rooted, I think, in structural racism. And I think, you know, for us as researchers, sometimes it's very difficult to disentangle the two. So while I'll speak with a degree of confidence there, because I understand that when it comes to actually research and actually trying to kind of decouple the effects, it can oftentimes be a challenge. So I don't want to overstate, you know, the, the precision um, that might be implied by uh, by my comments. Um, but look, you know, I think, number one, um, certainly we have seen in terms of rents, um, in terms of of, of what's coming online, um, generally speaking, uh, higher rent uh, uh, apartment buildings. Um, that, uh, I think, in part um, reflects the challenges that builders, developers on the multifamily side, um, on the rental side are really saying uh, are, hold, are, are making it difficult um, for them to produce affordable housing. Um, things like uh, labor availability. Um, lending challenges um, for a long for for a long time and probably to a degree still um, lumber challenges uh, uh, zoning and lots particularly um, in areas uh, that um, that are zoned for single family housing um, so you know all of these kind of really come together um, I think to 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 boost 
uh, uh, rents uh, to, to boost uh, to boost rents. Um, but at the same time, you know, when we think about the most affordable types of properties, um, we're talking about two to four units. We're talking about those small multifamily buildings that, frankly, we used to build uh, 30 to 40 years ago. Um, we just don't do that anymore. Um, and so at the same time, a lot of those types of buildings are actually coming offline. Um, and so, you know, you have it kind of coming from both sides, not just in terms of the stock that we're producing, um, but also in terms of the stock that we're losing. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, at the same time, look, you know, when we're talking about rent burdens, we're talking about uh, certainly the amount that people are paying in rent in your numerator, but we're talking about incomes in the denominator. Um, and so now we're talking about um, the challenges um, that people of color have with respect to things like educational attainment, um, with respect to uh, the jobs, uh, their ability to, 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 to have a job, say, particularly coming through a recession, um, that all, I think, give rise to uh, lower incomes. So, you know, you put those two together um, and you're going to and people of color, black people in particular, um, on average, are going to have uh, are going to face uh, uh, higher burdens. Um, look, but, you know, that's the economics. And a lot of this is still rooted, I think, in structural racism, um, whether that is uh, the investments that are coming, the lack of investment uh, that comes into communities of color, um, whether that's uh, uh, workers of color um, being 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 more likely uh, to be fired um, when you have when you have a recession, um, whether that's the lack of promotion, um, any of those things kind of all that are that 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 history um, uh, and, and research have have demonstrated are rooted in in structural racism also ultimately play a role in terms of your housing outcomes. Um, and, and so, you know, Katie, you know, what does all this mean? I mean, what what for us, what it means, particularly when we're thinking about home ownership, um, is two things. First, it's that people of color, renters of color are 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 are, are much less able to prepare for home ownership, to build the financial resources that are needed uh, for a down payment, for maintenance of a home, for making those types of mortgage payments. Um, but actually, in a more insidious fashion, um, it also has the effect of making these types of households much less stable. Um, we know that renting typically is less stable than home ownership, generally speaking. But for these households with higher rent burdens, they're even less stable. And so, you know, they're cycling in and out um, of extreme circumstances um, and trying to just claw their way, um, I think, back to normal. And so what that means is if all you're doing is just trying to to try to stay no, normal, trying to stay above water, you know, trying to build wealth on top of that is not really in your purview at this time. And so that's really a challenge that we have um, for those of us that are concerned about uh Things like the home ownership gap, um, things like the racial wealth gap. Um, this is where I think this uh, a lot of this um, really uh, uh, gets started. Mm -hmm. And since you kind of already delved into it, a lot of these issues are compounded together and build off of each other. You were talking about employment and a lot of that comes into um, the COVID-19 impact mm -hmm. and the effect that it's had on black employment. So. Mm -hmm. During the COVID-19 pandemic, um, the share of jobless workers was greater among Black and Hispanic workers than among white workers. Can you talk a little bit more in depth about that, why they were more likely to go unemployed during that time and the yeah. impact that has specifically had? Yeah, no, that's right. And, you know, gosh, you hate to kind of talk about these types of doom and gloom type um, situations. Um, but I also think it's important um, to understand that while, you know, nationwide, on average, um, you know, we are moving closer to recovery, um, there are people on the margins 
um, who have historically been marginalized, who have not yet recovered. And it's always important to kind of keep that in mind, that, that, that looking at nationwide averages, whether that's unemployment rates, home ownership rates, income, kind of masks um, those people, the, the, those people on the margin. Um, and so, you know, when we turn, I mean, like I said, the labor market is one area where this is certainly the case. I mean, what we see historically, excuse me, are two things. First, the black unemployment rate is traditionally is is is, is systematically um, above the white unemployment rate. That is that systematically, whether we're in a recession, um, whether we're in a pandemic or not, uh, the likelihood of black workers being unemployed um, is greater than the likelihood of white workers being unemployed. Um, and so that kind of begs the question of, OK, well, what does some, a shock like a pandemic, um, a shock like a recession, a, a shock like 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 climate change, like a climate catastrophe? I mean, what is the impact if, you know, whether you're in it or not, black workers are are more likely to be unemployed? Um, and I think it really comes to uh, not just that their unemployment rates rise. But in fact, their unemployment unemployment rates rise faster so that that gap actually gets bigger. Um, and that happens over time as we go through those catastrophes um, with the hope that, you know, it begins to close kind of on the other side uh, of the disaster. Um, and the reason I say that um, is, is, is frankly, for two reasons. Um, first, because, yes, a portion of that um, with the pandemic is certainly rooted in uh, uh, service jobs, the service industry. A lot of the person to person types of, uh, of of industries and professions were hit harder. Um, that's where uh, people of color uh, are disproportionately um, located. Um, at the same time, renter households were hit harder. Um, that's, again, where people of color are disproportionately located. But again, it, there's also evidence that it's also that it's rooted in structural racism. Um, I cited and I'll just bring up again that the research does indicate um, that workers of color, um, black workers in particular, are more likely to be fired uh, uh, kind of that last in first out. Um, that uh, that when we have some kind of recession and a company needs to, to right size, it is historically been black people where the right sizing has happened uh, has happened first. I mean, so that puts them into a much more precarious situation when we start turning over to uh, to, to, to to housing market outcomes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I just want to um, I have a, a few questions about that. It's not the fact that they are service workers, but it's that they are service workers and they are usually the first to be let go. So it's not impacting black and white service workers. It's disproportionately impacting black service workers. That's right. And so, you know, the dis- I think the disproportionality um, reflects both that, you know, they account for a larger share of those types of professions. Mm-hmm. Um, but also to your point, it's this it's this it's this interaction between the shock um, and, uh, and and the structural racism that's mm-hmm. at play. Um, mm-hmm. And we see that. I mean, I'm going to go a little off topic here, but, you know, we wrote another report looking at uh, mortgage rates amid the mortgage rate shock. And what we what we again demonstrated is that you have this mortgage rate shock that reduces affordability, slows down uh, wealth accumulation for homeowners. But then we also that is that hits up against the fact that black home, black home buyers, home buyers of color are more likely to have a higher mortgage rate in general. So not only are you facing the shock aspect of, of, of the mor- of mortgage rates, but you're also facing the part of it that is partially rooted in structural racism. Same thing in the labor market. Unemployment rate goes up. Part of that is the macroeconomic shock, which might be a recession, might be a climate catastrophe, might be a pandemic. But it's hitting up against the fact that, well, wait a second, people of color are more likely to be unemployed, in part reflecting uh, structural racism. Mm-hmm. 
And and you brought up uh, an in- interesting point about interest rates. Is that relating to credit issues um, that they're having? Why they have these higher interest rates? Yeah. So you know, um, I think you know a couple things. Um, you know, a certainly um, reflecting uh, uh, credit. Um, also reflecting uh, financial resources. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, one of the things that we uh, have seen um, is uh, is a, a lot more home buyers um, putting down larger down payments, um, paying points and fees up front, which allows you to come in uh, with a, a lower interest rate. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you do not have the financial resources, either yourself or have access to them, uh, maybe through parents and relatives, um, then you cannot, you know, take those steps that would allow you to kind of uh, offset or insulate yourself um, from these types of shocks. So, hey, you're getting, I mean, you're getting this consistent story about the precarity of black households that, yeah, it's no surprise when we finally get around to home ownership, why it's so difficult for them to actually overcome um, some a lot of those barriers. Um, but the second part, again, is there is this role, again, for structural racism. We know that um, uh, it, even the labor market kind of discussion that we had, that filter, if you can't pay your income because you don't have a job, that could affect your credit score um, in such a way that it now disqualifies you um, for, getting, uh, for getting a type of loan that could help you to build wealth. Not just because your credit score could get hit, but also because in the face of a recession, the credit score that's needed to get that loan will probably be higher. Because remember, in the course of a recession, lenders are going to be tightening their standards. In other words, look, I can only lend to people with the most pristine credit. So your credit score is falling at the same time that the lenders are saying, no, we have a higher bar for you to overcome. And the combination of that just makes it super challenging uh, for, uh, for for Black households who are in, that, in, in the mortgage market. Absolutely. And, you know, I talk uh, to a lot of people and ask them, you know, why do you think the the home ownership gap is widening? And a lot of people usually cite, oh, the 2008 recession um, disproportionately impacted black Americans, which it did. But uh, we don't really get to talk about recent events that happened like COVID-19 and that's impact. How much do you think that has contributed to the widening gap today? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think um I, so let me let, let me say two things. One of them is concrete. The other one is kind of speculative. Mm-hmm. Um, so the concrete answer is, you know, we have seen, in fact, that uh, the black white home ownership rate gap um, did narrow somewhat uh, over uh, the pandemic, over the pandemic period. I, mean, I think we do need additional more research to really to really understand um, why this is the case. Um, but at the same time, and here's where I think Here's where I'm going to speculate, but I think it's it, it raises an important concern. So remember, your home ownership rate is uh, the number of households that are homeowners in the numerator, and then the total number of households in the denominator. Um, and so when that denominator gets smaller, then the whole ratio gets bigger. Um, well, what we saw, in fact, between 2019 and 2021 for Black households was not just an increase in the number of homeowners, but a decrease in the number of households overall. Whether that's due to the pandemic or not, I think is an important research question that we need to answer. Um, and so, yeah, the combination of both of those had the effect of boosting the black home ownership rate um, faster than the white home ownership rate. But it's not in my mind, it's not that until we get more information, it's not necessarily a positive if the reason why the number of black households shrank um, was because a lot of black people were dying in response to the pandemic. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and research also does show that they were disproportionately impacted health wise during mm-hmm. um, the pandemic. They were much more at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, certainly, certainly that could be a contributor. But since we were just talking about um, credit and the issue with renting, a good thing that did come out, Fannie Mae launched um, this rent payment reporting program to help renters um, use their rental history to help build credit. Mm-hmm. Um so, and I mean, that's a program that um, black renters can access. And then there's um, a number of um, states usually offer down payment assistance programs. So there are resources out there that can help them. How can we ensure that these people get access to these resources that they know about them? I assume that comes in with the the loan officer you're working with or the, the people that you're working with in order to attain the home. Do you think it could be potentially be an issue? Um accessing these programs and being educated on them? You know, um, so look, I think that um, the ecosystem, the housing, I, I think what 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 makes housing so uh, so interesting is that the ecosystem um, is so so large and 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 multifaceted. Um, I'll give you a great example. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I worked uh, in, in a previous job and it was nothing for me to give a presentation um, to uh, the federal government um, who's interested in what's going on in, in housing. But then to turn around and to give uh, a presentation to uh, global bankers because they are invested in mortgage backed securities and they want to know what the what you know, what the outlook for the U.S. housing market is. But then you turn around and then you give a presentation to the truckers and it's, the truckers want to know what's going on with the housing market um, because they're the ones that are transporting the wood back and forth. Um, and then you give a presentation to the windows folks. And, you know, they're interested because they want to know how many houses are going to be built so that we can put windows in those houses. I mean, so all of that, I think, speaks to the multifaceted nature um, of uh, of the housing market. Um, Why do I say all that? I say all that because because that ecosystem really need the the, the dots need to be connected, Um, that that loan officers um, understand, hey, here are all the opportunities um, that are available uh, to you. um, And here are here the here here are the ways um, in which you can qualify. Um, I'll give you a great example of 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 a group that is actually doing that Um, minority depository institutions, um, relationship banking that is at the core um, of their of their uh, of their work, where look, part of this is certainly around the numbers on a page, your credit score, uh, your 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 the, the implied loan to value ratio, your DTI, your debt to income ratio. Um, but at the same time, they're going to go above and beyond that um, and say, well, look, what else do I know about you um, as a way? And, and how can I um, how can I come up with some, how can I create uh, some kind of new plan um, that frankly allows us to expand credit access um, to people that may be denied um, from say larger, uh, from, from larger financial institutions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And we'll, and we'll revisit that again, exactly what uh, loan originators can do to help their black clients. Um, mm-hmm. Let's also get into the lack of supply, which is a huge issue um, for everybody. Yeah. Everybody's watching supply and when it's going to come back. We're all waiting very patiently. Let's talk about how that disproportionately affects um, black Americans, black potential home buyers. Um, So so go ahead. You you already talked about the the lack of uh, multifamily housing starts. Um, Yep. So go ahead and go in depth on that. Yeah, no. Um, so, you know, we uh, to your point, Katie, I mean, we talked we, we talked a little bit. I mean, we could go deeper just on the demand side. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we talk about rent burden and that's a great way we talk about you know what can loan officers do which is really around getting a mortgage um uh and, which is still kind of on the demand side um in terms of home ownership more generally um but it, naturally um you know you have to attack the supply side um or else you're going to get uh higher house prices um that wind up really challenging um uh home buying affordability um and so you know you think about it and there are a, a let's just say there are a number i think there are a number of, of challenges i think Excuse me. Um, and I'm going to use that kind of same flow model that, I, that when we talked about kind of the renter side of, you know, a um, the types of homes that are being built. Um, are generally uh, higher priced, um, num- uh, number one. Um, uh, on the new side, in terms of new construction, they tend to be higher priced, again, for a lot of the same reasons um, that uh, that we talked about on the multifamily side, in terms of what the challenges that builders are facing, um, in terms of land costs and, 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 and labor availability and, 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 uh, and lending. Um, but at the same time, and, and so that has affected the flow of new construction, um, at the same time, um, um, there are there's very little in terms of existing homes out there that are coming on the market. So you might think that, and this is accurate, that the typical existing home um, is going to be more affordable uh, than your typical new home. Um, and uh, in fact, the general chronology is, you know, look, I, I, I start off with my parents in, in my parents' home, then I become a renter, uh, then I buy my first home, which is usually an existing home, that I build up equity and I trade up into a new home. So that existing home really has an important role to play in terms of first time uh, first time home ownership but when we look at things like month supply which is a key measure for thinking about uh, 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 the, 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 the the inventory that's out there on the existing side um, you know again very low levels so little home little, few homes are being built the inventory on the existing side uh, remains low at the same time we there was a lot of evidence that uh, investors had come in um, to really kind of compete um, with the quote unquote retail sector um, and and, you know, the research really kind of combines to, to, to suggest um, that the homes that they were buying were exactly the kinds of affordable existing homes um, that uh, that that would otherwise um, could be purchased uh, by 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 a potential first time home buyer. Um, so I think, you know, again, so I think, uh, you know, it's 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 what's coming into the system. Um, and 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 the challenges around that, um, but it's also you know what is coming out of the system um, and the issues there. Um, you know, another kind of case in point is when we start thinking about home improvements um, mm-hmm. and for homes that uh, that that may be dilapidated. Um, and how and who has the competitive who has the the financial resources um, and, and for whom does it make economic sense um, to actually purchase that kind of dilapidated home. Typically, the retail sector—that's not what they're—that's not what they want to do. They don't want to buy, put two, you know, two hundred thousand dollars to buy the home, turn around another hundred thousand dollars to fix up the home. That's mm-hmm. not what they want to do. Your invest, your larger investor with deeper pockets. They may be more willing to do that kind of to do that kind of investment, but then what happens is a home that could be affordable for home ownership suddenly is now taken out of the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so they bit. Yep. Yeah. So they take these homes, these existing homes that could have been um, bought as homes, and ended up um, rehabilitating them, but to a point where it's unaffordable, and now they're charging unaffordable rent to people, which is of course snatching up just more inventory that we're getting less and less of. Do you think that? we won't be able to see a f- more affordable homes on the market unless sellers are incentivized um, to start selling again, which is hard because we can't just let interest rates drop again. 
Um, this will create another frenzy in the housing market. So it's a very complex issue. Um, when do you think, you know, what, when do you think we'll be able to see um, existing homes on the market again? Yeah. So look, I mean, I think we have talked a lot. Of, so um, as, a, as when you're thinking about the housing market, um, there are kind of two dimensions. Uh, there, there are two there are two frameworks that one can use. Um, and, and again, I, I'm trained as an economist, so that's kind of how I kind of uh, this is how I kind of think about the world. Um, you know, there's certainly the short run framework, which is really around affordability. You know, where are house prices? Um, where are incomes? Uh, where are uh, mortgage rates? Um, and to a to a degree, you know, where are rents? You know, if I'm comparing home ownership relative to renting, um, and so that's kind of a short run kind of way of thinking about it, and that's a lot of what we've talked about. Um, but uh, uh, in companion, um, there's a longer run kind of framework in which uh, uh, home ownership. Uh, housing supply um, is really around demographics. Um, and so when we start to think about that, then, OK, well, look, uh, you know, we we typically we're creating about one point five million households uh, per year. Um, those households have to live somewhere. Um, and so, you know, you expect that while in the short run, there might be these kinds of frictions that we've kind of talked about in the longer term. You know, those frictions should go away and builders should be able to make up the gap. Uh, to to meet the, the the longer term demand that's now being implied by demographics, things like uh, 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 population growth, um, things like what proportion of the population actually become ahead of a household, what we call the headship rate. Um, that all combines in in a kind of a long run supply and demand kind of framework. Um, now let's say now that being said, we know that there has been underbuilding for ten years. I mean, there's not necessarily a a concrete uh, number of years that differentiates the short run from the long run. But I think when we've gotten to about ten years or so, you know, we're kind of coming into that medium term to longer run. Um, and so I think that while uh, there are certainly opportunities. Um, the, the 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 long run framework does suggest that supply should ultimately come back in order to meet the demands of gener of the millennial generation of Generation Z. Um, you know, to date, we still have not seen that a sustained pickup in housing supply. Mm -hmm. um, now that 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 framework would uh, would would suggest we we would say. Um, now the other part I think that's critical is when you start talking about demographics. The other thing that we know um, is that uh, is that uh, younger generations uh, have a large Larger proportion of people of color. Um, and so now you're talking about now you do have to come back to things around affordability. Um, but at the same time, you have to come back to what are their needs? We know that uh, white households are typically smaller. We know that households of color, um, in part because they tend to be multi-generational, in part because they tend to have more children in their household, tend to be larger. And so how do you, how do you thread that needle of affordability with the size that they're going to need because of the type because of uh, with the size of the home they're going to need because of the size of the household that they have? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate, you know, we're all trying to be patient, you know, eventually supply will come back. But a lot of studies show that Gen Z is very eager to get into homes more so than their parents were. A lot of them in their 20s uh, don't want to rent. They see renting as a waste of money. And perhaps that's all this talk about the renting trap, high rents nowadays, that's really pushing them towards, well, if I'm going to put my money into something, it's going to be an asset and I want a home now. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to, you know, the eager Gen Zer um, that wants to get a home and wants to get into one quickly. So, you know, I think, um, you know, a couple things. Um, a, we have seen uh, we have seen uh, uh, historically 
large proportion of younger households living with their parents. Um, that, as far as I can tell, um, is a response to the kinds of um, uh, uh, precarious, the types of shocks that have that have uh, led to um, financial precarity. Um, whether that's the great financial crisis, um, whether that is the uh, whether that is the uh, the, uh, the 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 pandemic, um, and so I do think so. I do think um, so, but at the same time, that also provides an opportunity. Um, for you to save um, and for you to build uh, the financial resources um, that could be used um, in order to uh, in order to uh, uh, achieve home ownership. Um, the second thing, the, the second thing that I will say um, is, you know, a large portion of this, and the federal government has tried is trying to attack this as well, um, is any student loan debt that you have. Um, it, that is going to be a key hurdle um, that can limit uh, your ability uh, to both save. Um, for uh, for a down payment, but also to qualify for a mortgage um, and to prevent you and could uh, and to keep you from actually uh, missing a mortgage payment and going into uh, going into uh, foreclosure. So I think that the, so I think those are the two things. The last thing that I will say um, is that uh, you know at, on the uh, is that there is an opportunity. Look, there's also a long run demographic trend um, of things like of 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 marriage rates happening later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, the last I heard, I think the average, I think it was around 28 to 30 or somewhere in terms of when the typical man and the typical woman gets married. So, you know, certainly while that while households of color may wind up having large family sizes, you know, by the end of, say, childbearing years or however, you know, you decide to define that. Um, at the same time, there's also an opportunity when you're single to perhaps look at uh, things like uh, condominiums, uh, to look at, uh, uh, the, you know, those types of smaller uh, uh, units. But then that has to also be paired, um, I think, with the supply side in terms of making sure that those are the types of homes um, that are on the market. Mm-hmm. That's that's an interesting point. I haven't even thought about that because it's usually very helpful. And sometimes the only way possible to afford a home is with double incomes. Mm-hmm. So getting married, married uh, later in life um, could definitely be another roadblock unintentionally. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah. that is another hurdle that we are, we're all hoping that the that um, student loans are forgiven. And, you know, that could definitely a lot of Gen Zers, um, millennials are, are hoping that that will happen. So I want to point out another um, another issue brought up in the report, which was climate change. And we have yet to talk about that on this podcast and how that affects black home home ownership. So yeah. how does or how does uh, climate change work into this conversation? Yeah, um, you know, I think that, uh, look, I mean, in some ways, um, climate change uh, is, in my mind, um, a part of a class of of shock events um, that uh, that can uh, that that can that can introduce that that can uh, expose uh, uh, those that are are least financially stable. Um, Excuse me. But at the same time, climate change is often a hyper local uh, 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 event as well, kind of in contrast to a national recession um, or a global recession. Um, and so there were a couple things that happened. First, um, we can have a situation, we can certainly, we saw this coming out of Katrina, um, where uh, people of color um, are forced to flee. Um, uh, their 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 home, uh, New Orleans, and that and that and that situation. Um, but then they're not able to come back. 
I mean, and so as the city begins to recover, as investments um, uh, are made into the, are made in the city, those that left and are unable to come back are therefore unable to benefit um, from the recovery from 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 the from the area's recovery. Um, a second one um, is around uh, is around, and I think this is getting back to the structural racism that we talked about earlier. Is where do those investment dollars actually go? Who actually who what communities actually receive them? And there are a number of reports um, documenting that, say, in the case of Katrina and and other and, and other uh, climate catastrophes. Um, that they oftentimes uh, did not go to uh, the neighborhoods uh, with the most need, oftentimes majority of black neighborhoods. And so certainly while there it might be a recovery overall uh, across the entire city or across the entire area, it really masks um, a divergence in, say, uh, white neighborhoods or more well-to-do neighborhoods um, relative to black neighborhoods um, or lower income and impoverished neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the second thing. Um, the third one, I think, is around you know, who has the uh, the financial resilience, um, not just at the household level, but even at the property level and at the community level. You know, the types of older homes that may not have been renovated. Um, those are the ones that in a climate catastrophe, they're going to be destroyed. Uh, they're they're, they're going to be they're going to they, they will likely face um, a greater destruction um, and therefore need um, need greater uh, investment in order to in order to recover. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, when we start to think about uh one of the things that we saw in some work that in research that we did um, was that we is is that we also we 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 saw this sharp increase um, in 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 mortgage delinquency, um, and uh, in other words, people will lose their job. They lose their job. Uh, they can't pay their mortgage for a short period of time, um, and so that puts them into delinquency. Fortunately, we have the toolkit of forbearance, which is ac- actually a, a climate uh, tool um, that was then repurposed for the pandemic, um, which help which 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 can which can help people from experiencing uh, erosion in their credit score. Um, but at the same time, it's consistent with a broader type of financial uh, instability um, that limits their ability to recover. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry if you already pointed this out, but um, uh, a recent case of this uh, happened, I mean, just a few years back when the hurricane ran through Houston, Texas, mm-hmm. they, um, it disproportionately impacted, you know, black uh black majority neighborhoods, um, when they rebuilt the area, it was rebuilt beyond their means. They could no longer afford to live in that area, thereby displacing all of those people. And in situations like that, how can we how can we mend that? Or do we need to make sure that we're rebuilding for the people that were once there and getting them back into homes, focusing more on the individuals rather than the area itself? Yep. Now, that's a great question. So, look, I mean, I think so, A, you know, part of that cost inflation, part part of that cost, that higher cost reflects cost inflation. Um, that is in part um, because, uh, look, the, 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 the inputs that you're using today uh, just cost more um, than whatever inputs were used to build those properties, you know, several years before. And so there's just natural inflationary piece. Um, there's also a degree of inflation related to the catastrophe um, because now there's less supply um, that can get into those neighborhoods. And so but at the same time, there's more demand because you've had because uh, so much of the of the physical property has been destroyed. And so that imbalance of demand and supply also winds up pushing up costs of resource costs. Um, But then at the same time, I think exactly to your point, then there's thirdly this, Okay, well, where is the investment going and what kind of properties are being built? If you're being if you're building 50 plus class A buildings, you know, I'm sorry, you know, that's the the 
you know, even after we control for the for the two things that I just said, you know, if that's replacing a, a two to four unit building, that's just going to be more expensive um, uh, uh, because of the type of structures that you're building now, um, which would be consistent with a more gentrified neighborhood. Um, and so, you know, I think a I, I think I, I think a two two things really come to mind. Um, number one is what are the things that we can do around manufactured housing? Uh, manufactured housing uh it, it has the benefit of not just um being uh being being kind of uh, uh easier to kind of put down um but at the same time um it is also going to be it's also a a, a great disaster recovery tool um so i think that's number one number two though i think when we move up to the community level um that's where i think we need intentional com- intentional responses that are sensitive um to the to, to to both the culture and to the racial disparities that are happening in that neighborhood um and that are happening in that area and so you know it really is about uh, uh mayors it's about other uh, uh policymakers and 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 other leaders coming together and really leaning into uh 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 the 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 need to ensure that investment actually comes into uh neighborhoods of color and that requires uh that requires partnership um across all you know all of the policymakers that are working in that space mm-hmm. and you brought up um forbearance and in the report it recommends um having forbearance as a permanent option. So what would that, can you explain that? What would that look like? Um, and, it, you know, cause forbearance, a lot of us just heard of it uh, through the, the COVID pandemic. Um, but you said it's usually used in uh, weather related disasters as well. What would it look like as a permanent option? So the way that, so the way that I can, uh, so I think the way that this can work um, is, uh, is, 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 Twofold, a uh, automatic, um, but b uh, maintaining uh, import, uh, the connections um, between uh, 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 the federal agencies, between uh, the lenders, servicers, and between the household themselves. That you know, the moment uh, there there is uh, uh, evidence or indications um, that a particular household um, is facing uh, a type of uh, uh, instability or shock. Um, that keeps them uh, from uh, from 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 being able to make their mortgage payments um, in a timely way. That the lender or servicer reaches out um, mm-hmm. and auto and automatic uh, automatically you know uh, 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 puts in uh, forbearance uh, automatically turns on the forbearance in order to give that household uh, an opportunity um, to uh, to recover. And frankly, look, you know, it, it, I think the funny thing is, you know, we're coming into this kind of Christmas holiday, and I always think of it's a wonderful life. And, you know, remember in that movie, you know, we had a bank run. And uh, and so, you know, the main character, I can't I can't remember his name now, but basically, you know, he's telling people, look, you know, you don't have to make your mortgage payment. <laughs> you know, we're going to put it off for a little while so that you can recover. Um, and so this is the I mean, that that's a funny story, but it's rooted in the way in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a mission oriented kind of approach of, you know, ensuring that people are able to maintain home ownership through the ups and downs of their everyday life. And at the end of the day, I think that is what we where where how we need to focus in order to ensure that black households are able to maintain home ownership. Are there any consequences to having that as a permanent option or would it be, you know, simple enough to deal with as we dealt with it during the COVID pandemic? Because we didn't really see any sort of um, um, detrimental effects because of it, you know, Um, but having it as a permanent option, I wonder, are there any consequences to that that 
banks or lenders would have to deal with? Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, I think with respect to the with respect. So a couple things. Um, first, with respect to the pandemic, certainly we were benefiting from higher house prices. Um, we were benefiting from uh, low mortgage rates that resulted in uh, a, a lot of refinancing that allowed servicers who may be losing money um, because people, current homeowners are making their payment. They're making that up on the refi side. Um, certainly research suggests that uh, 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 mobility and 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 uh, and being able to work from home may have also contributed to uh, to to the to the significant uptick um, in home sales. But I also want to contrast that with the Great Recession, um, where we saw a slew of of households, black households in particular, lose their homes. We saw wealth, massive amounts of wealth, um, being destroyed. Um, and 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 we saw a uh, a number of 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 people who frankly were not even able to recover by the time the pandemic recession came. And so in that way, no, I applaud the federal government for taking swift action this time to preserve home ownership, to preserve wealth building and stability and, and the stability characteristic that's in, that that's implied uh, uh, in, in home ownership um, and trying to find other ways in order to spread those costs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, pick, cherry picking some of the um, policies that that you prefer um, outlined in the report, what should loan officers specifically be aware of when they're working with a black client who perhaps has been renting all of their life or comes from a generation of renters? Um, You know, what recent policies um, and programs that have come out that do you want them to be aware of? Yeah. So, you know, great question. So, you know, I think um, a couple of things. So first, uh, certainly um, around uh, the new and we talked about this um, a little bit uh, around, uh, uh, you know, the alternative credit and the and the ability to uh, the ability to uh, to incorporate um, rental payments um, in a measure in in measures of 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 credit uh, of credit availability. Um, so I think, uh, you know, for me, I think that's uh, that that's critical. Um, the other one is certainly around down payment assistance um, and the slew of programs that are out there that will allow uh, that will allow uh, particularly people of color um, to uh, to access and to to obtain uh, down payment assistance as part uh, of the package um, that they're coming to the table with. Um, the third one uh, for me is certainly around um, home preservation and ways in which we can uh, create uh, financial t- the ways in which uh, we can uh, uh, give potential home buyers the opportunity to not just make the down payment and the closing costs, um, but also uh, access to the preservation funds that are going to be needed. And because we know that research research tells us um, that typically a lot of the uh, a lot of the, uh, the the home improvements and the and, and the renovations um, are made uh, over the uh, over the first two years uh, over the first two years um, of 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 home ownership. Um, and so, you know, for, for for me, I think that those two are critical. The last one I'll say is certainly making sure that things like um, student debt ratios um, are uh, are adequately uh, reflected in DTI. Uh, 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 organizations, agencies like FHA um, have taken steps to limit the effect uh, of student loan debt there. Um, and that could also uh, go some way toward in toward helping uh, homeowners of color uh, qualify for a mortgage. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I, I really want everyone listening um, to the podcast to be aware of what's out there and to make sure that you communicate this to clients, because it, it's possible that when we're going over some of these issues, a loan officer might think to themselves, well, I can't prevent a pandemic from happening. I can't prevent these, cl- you know, climate change from happening. What am I supposed to do? And the answer to that is get people into homes, um, get people their mortgages. You are the communicator. Yes, we have lots of programs and you know, things coming out like down payment assistance and rental history programs and things like that. But the only way that it's going to actually help people is if you take on this, you know, this ownership of being a financial educator and increasing financial literacy within certain demographics, um, you know, you know, not just black Americans, but Hispanics as well. And breaking down barriers, you know, because it's, it's harder for some people to understand if, if they've come from a generation of renters or if they have a language barrier there, um, that it's important that you take ownership of this communicator role. So what do you think? Um, what is your opinion on people in the mortgage industry taking on more of an educator role? Yeah, look, I think um, <clears throat> I, I, I think that I think it's critical. And, and I think it's I think it's not just critical. I, I think a lot of the points that you've made are exactly uh, on point and I'm 100 percent right. Um, you know, it, 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 where I would take uh, an additional step is that is to remind um, the industry um, that uh, of the role that conscious historical racism um, has contributed to people of color not trusting financial institutions. Um, and so it is then imperative, I think, for uh, for uh, for finance, for uh, uh, loan officers um, for that represent these institutions to really reach out um, to communities of color, to the leaders in those communities um, in order to allay any fears um, and to explain and provide information, provide transparency and clarity um, to these communities so that they can then in turn trust uh, trust you when it's now time to make these important. And, uh, credit decisions. I mean, they, they, they. You know, we know the stories of Tulsa, but we also know the stories of the Great Financial Crisis of you know people, uh, family members who lost homes. We know the story of the pandemic um, of people who died, and and that's not the fault of a loan officer, of course. But it gets into, hey, do I trust this system to the uh, to the extent that I'm willing to partake and engage in it? Um, and if we think that over the next twenty to thirty to forty years, people of color are going to remain are going to grow as as a share of the population, then it really makes business sense um, for you to really kind of think about how can we expand our pet and deepen our penetration um, in these communities in a sustainable way that works both for industry, but also for these communities as well. I think that's a great point because a lot of people ask, well, how do I, you know, how do I start to connect and build a relationship with the black community, the Hispanic community, the Islamic community? How do I do this? And it's all about building trust. And if you look into the history, you know, there's a reason that they're distrustful of financial institutions that's built up over time. And that's why when we look at the figures today in the home ownership gap, that it really explains a lot. So taking ownership of being a communicator, an educator, um, an ally for these people is, is definitely important and will help you in your career. So thank you so much, Michael Neal, for for joining us for today and going over this report. It was definitely really important to update ourselves on how recent events have, you know, contributed to this home ownership gap. And and um, we'll, we'll be looking uh, to see more things come out of the Urban Institute. The reports are always very educational and always very helpful. Terrific. I enjoyed it, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to everyone for listening. <laughs> 
Awesome. Thank you so much. This is Gated Communities, hosted by me, Katie Jensen, for the Mortgage News Network. All episodes are produced by T.G. Kudem Perror and Matthew Mullins. Our head of multimedia is Mike Savino, and our editor-in-chief is Christine Stewart. Make sure you subscribe to Gated Communities so you get future episodes, and be sure to rate and review it so others can find it. The song you heard at the beginning was Wildside by Saint Society, and the song you hear now is Will You Dance With Me by La La Nia. This podcast is copyrighted by American Business Media. Don't miss the largest regional mortgage show in the nation. The New England Mortgage Expo returns to Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, January 12th and 13th. See us at www.nemortgageexpo.com. Start your year with the best connections in the industry. Dozens of sessions, scores of exhibitors. It's where success is written every hour. www.nemortgageexpo.com.